Welcome to the Burn Bag Podcast. My name is Ryan Rosenthal at the side of the Reagan National Defense Forum. It is panel day, and we are here with Trey Stevens, Anduril co-founder and partner at Founders Fund. Trey, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so Anduril has a lot of fascinating products and technologies. I'm not sure that our audience fully is aware of all the cool things that you guys are doing. And so before we kind of get there, what is Anduril's mission? What do you guys seek out to do? And in the years that you guys have kind of since, since your founding, what are you kind of looking for into the future? So we were founded in 2017, so just about five and a half years ago. Um, the original thesis is no different than it is today, which is essentially that many of the capabilities that we've been building over the last 50, 70 years are large, exquisite, uh, bespoke defense systems uh, that are built over decades, they're hardware-defined, maybe they're enabled in certain ways by software, but many of the capabilities that are going to matter in the future, things like autonomy and applied artificial intelligence, these are software capabilities. And so we thought that it would be really important for there to be a next-generation defense prime that was software-defined and hardware-enabled. Um, a lot of these hardware capabilities that matter for these sorts of technologies um, are industry-led. Um, things like sensors and, um, you know, different sorts of motors for low-cost attributable systems and things like that. And so um, Anduril is an autonomy, a mission autonomy company. Um, we build everything from uh, autonomous sensors to autonomous aircraft to autonomous ground vehicles to autonomous underwater vehicles, and we're continuing to build out that portfolio over time. That's great, and I want to talk about your new autonomous underwater kind of submersibles, which is really fascinating. But before we get there, you guys are rebooting the arsenal of democracy. It's part of this new mission statement that you guys have kind of put out. I'm curious what that really means in practice, you kind of talked about, you know, broadly what Andrew's looking to do, but the also democracy, right, is, was very important to get the United States to the next level of capability to take on all the biggest challenges. And so how is Andrew fitting into that ecosystem? Yeah, you know, we, there's this theory that I had had for a long time that everyone has a crazy uncle that you can sit down with at Thanksgiving dinner. And the, the crazy uncle believes that we have all this like super top secret technology and bunkers hidden all over the place with extraterrestrial technology. And there's just no way anyone could ever compete with us. Um, and so rebooting the arsenal of democracy was kind of a way that we, you know, wove a manifesto for what it is that the company is trying to accomplish by laying out the history of where we've, how we've gotten to where we are today um, and what we need to do to succeed in staying ahead of our adversaries in the future. Um, and really that, that story is kind of maybe common to people that are listening to this podcast, but certainly not common to most people in the country. And to us, most importantly, certainly not common to the engineers that we need to recruit to join us in this mission. Um, during the Cold War, it was you know, very common for the top engineers and the disciplines that mattered um, to be working directly in coordination with the Defense Department, whether that was radar tech or you know, low observability tech or you know, solid rocket motor tech, everybody was kind of focused on government. But for these capabilities that matter for tomorrow that I mentioned before, a lot of those people are optimizing ads at Google or Facebook or whatever. Um, and so we need to tell the story. We need to explain to people why it's important for us to work on defense, why it's important for these technologies to contribute to the national security mission. And that's all part of this rebooting, to use the technology term, uh, tied in with the, the concept of the arsenal of democracy that was popularized in the last century. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really is a kind of a fascinating mission. And a lot of startups, I think you guys are one of the leading ones that are attempting to do this. And so you guys have sentry towers, sensors, UAS, AUVs. And so they're all cutting edge technologies. Um, how are, are, are you guys working with the U.S. military to kind of transform 
capabilities. I would love to hear about in practice, what are some of the products and the kind of deployment of your technologies look like? Yeah, so the core behind everything that you just mentioned is what we call Lattice. It's the software operating system that drives the autonomy and the operations that are that are pushed out of that autonomy system. And so that's you know, everything from like the Sentry Tower that you mentioned, which is an autonomous uh, intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance sensor uh, package that allows an operator to not have to, you know, do perimeter security or anything like that. The tower just tells them where things are, what they're doing, where, what their heading is, what the intercept point should be. Um, and then we take that exact same technology that's used for a static system that's sitting in one place and you apply it to an aircraft that's flying around. It basically becomes a mobile tower. And then you have things like underwater systems that are essentially doing the exact same thing just with you know, an underwater mission set instead of a on land or an air mission set. And so our, our kind of uh, concept behind this is that um, we can build these things to be low cost and to be basically attributable. And if you're able to do that, um, it fundamentally changes the way that you're engaging in in conflict and um the the hope is that we can do this in a way that saves a ton of money for the taxpayers um that also increases the capability of the warfighter yeah and you guys you know in your efforts you just uh, recently announced a series e funding so congratulations uh a nice uh, bit of money to kind of put forward. And I'm curious what you guys are looking to do with this new round and how it'll be instrumental in the development of Andrew's technologies. Totally. You know, we're in the midst of this macroeconomic recession. Um, as a VC, in addition to a co-founder of Andrew, it's never been more clear that um, uh, people are thinking about fundraising very differently than they were in 2020 and 2021. Um, you know, when we went out and started having conversations around this fundraise, uh, my expectation would be that it would be the hardest round that we had ever raised. And I ended up being totally wrong about that. And I think the reason for that is that uh, government is kind of recession proof. Like the money is continuing to flow. Uh, the customer isn't getting less interested in applying new technologies to the mission set. Um, but also from the investors themselves, there's a flight to quality. They really care about putting money into the things that are working um, and into the areas where there isn't, you know, some... Uh, massive exposure to recession economics. Um, and so we, we had a, a really fluid fundraising process, which was great. Um, we ended up raising the third largest fundraising round in the entire world um, this year at $1.48 billion. Um, and that gives us the ability to go out and continue to be aggressive in recruiting, to continue to be aggressive in corporate development for mergers and acquisitions, um, and continue to be aggressive in applying private capital um, to internal research and development to build products that we can then turn around and sell to the government um, without having to rely on the DOD to fund the research and development and then fund the operational purchase and then fund the operations and the maintenance. It's like this is not a good model for the taxpayer, and um, I think it's, it's really cool that private capital is flowing at a scale at which we can make a real difference to the bottom line for the DoD. Yeah, we always talk about how you know private industry provides more agility and efficiency when we look at new products, emerging technologies. Um, and so kind of with that, I'm curious how Andro is looking outside the United States. We've talked about, you know, U.S. military solutions. What about uh, solutions for allies and partners? Are they the same, a little different? What is kind of the want and the need from outside the U.S.? A lot of the threats that are being faced internationally are the exact same threats that we're trying to pair, prepare for domestically inside the DoD. Um, I think, you know, as we're seeing the growth, particularly in unmanned aerial systems, um, the ability to counter those systems inexpensively is going to be a core challenge of the coming decades. 
Um, you know, it's probably not economical if you're being swarmed with very low-cost drones to fire a bunch of two and a quarter million dollar Patriot missiles at them. Um, and so one of the things that we're starting to think about is how do you do this in a way that is responsive using uh, equivalent technologies or more advanced technologies around autonomy, around artificial intelligence, around computer vision um, to lower the cost of, um, of engaging in that conflict and making it economically unwise for someone to, to be the initiator. Um, and I don't think that's different than what is we're seeing in Ukraine than it was, uh, quite frankly, what the problem was in Armenia and Azerbaijan prior to that or in Syria prior to that. And, um, and I think this is the future of conflict. Um, we have to build aggressively to prepare um, for those future realities. Um, and I think the tech exists to do that in a way that isn't, you know, a 1960s or 1970s approach uh, where we're spending a lot of money to take down manned systems. That's just not what the future looks like. Yeah, I can't argue with that. And so if you put your VC hat on and we talk about kind of the VC landscape, how the industry looks at defense innovation and emerging technology firms, particularly when it applies to kind of government contracts, is there more of an interest now from venture capitalists to invest in these companies? Of course, you said that you know, government's always open, there's always going to be contracts and the, the need and the want for new technologies, but is venture-backed kind of defense innovation in a kind of new era? Are we seeing a lot of change? Uh, I mean, we broke a record last year with venture investment in aerospace and defense. Depending on how you count it, it was something like $7.6 billion last year. Uh, we're easily going to surpass that this year as an industry. Um, you know, I, I never really think that VCs lost an interest in solving hard problems. I think what, what ended up happening that kind of led to this lull is uh, we, we kind of were complacent um, because we thought the world was this perfectly safe place. It's like the end of history has come. Uh, we don't really have to invest in this anymore. The, all the real money to be made is in consumer internet uh, properties. And um, I think Ukraine has woken people up and they've kind of gone back to the drawing board and said, not only is there this you know, recession-proof thing that we can do that we can invest in to make money, which is maybe secondary to the, the real point, which is uh, it's clearly important. And um, I don't think that was something that was as recognized even in 2021, but certainly going into 2022 uh, with everything that we're seeing internationally, not only with Ukraine, but also what's going on in Iran, what's going on in North Korea, the potential threat to Taiwan. Um, I think everyone's kind of coming back to the drawing board and saying, you know what, if we're going to invest in things that matter, that are strategic, that are mission-oriented, um, there's a real opportunity here, and it's something that we need to we need to spend more time on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very important for, you know, new emerging companies and venture capitalists and the government to all work together. But when we look at kind of the commercial viability of the kind of the startups in this space entering this world of kind of government contracts and, and defense, it's very difficult to break in. And so from the VC perspective, have, have you found it, like increasingly difficult or decreasingly difficult for new startups who are have no kind of experience in this space from breaking in? Are there more solutions available for founders? You know, one of the things we often talk about at Anderil is that um, Palantir and SpaceX were the two great examples of success stories uh, prior, prior to us joining the fray. Um, they both took about five years to get their first 10 million in revenue, uh, which is a long time. It's certainly like too long for a venture-backed company to sit around. Um, but on the back of their success, um, I think we were able to kind of stand on their shoulders a little bit and move a lot faster. So we, we hit that same mark in about 22 months. Um, you know, we're five and a half years in now. Um, we're, we're certainly far beyond where we expected that we would be at this point. Um, so in some ways, I want to say 
you know, the government is streamlining processes. It's making it easier to at least win initial contracts. There's a lot of talk about the valley of death and all of that. And I think those conversations are very real. Um, there's a lot of work that can be done to bridge some of these capabilities into the DoD faster. Um, but, you know, uh, we're, we're making we're making strides. Um, there's at least an awareness. You can, you know, walk around RDF this weekend and you'll hear a lot of people talking about the importance of innovation. So um, we just need to, you know, kind of subtly shift the culture over time uh, into making uh, better technology decisions on core platforms uh, in the coming decade, which I think we're on track to do. So one last question before I let you go today. What are you most excited for being at RDF? It's a fabulous event. We're very excited to be here ourselves. Um, what is Trey Stevens looking forward to today? <laughs> uh sleep at the end, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, it's an incredible event. The, the Reagan Foundation does a great job pulling this together. Um, you know, I think anyone that you would ask would say essentially the same thing, which is you can get more done in 24 hours uh, with everyone being in the same place than you can normally do in weeks. Um, and so I think that makes for uh, really compelling conversations. Uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for people to come together, but it's also exhausting. Um, so, you know, we're doing this at 9.15 in the morning. Um, I'm sure we would have a very different style of podcast if we were doing this at 7 o'clock tonight. So um, I'm looking forward to the day and uh, appreciate the time. Well, wonderful. Trey, thanks so much. All right. Take care.